Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Taking justice virtual. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Sajid Nassim, Chief Information Security Officer for the New Jersey Courts and Adjunct Cybersecurity Professor at St. John's University. Welcome, Sajid. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for having me uh, today. Thanks again for joining us and taking time out to, to share on this topic. So just before we get into the questions, give us a brief summary of your professional background and explain the scope of the New Jersey court system. Thank you, Tanya. Uh, so basically, I've been at the New Jersey court system for about three and a half years. Uh, I've come from a variety of different industries, including education, uh, including telecommunications, um, IT, security, just for a variety of different industries and for about for about a period of 20 years uh, so when I came to the court here um, the first thing I noticed was how massive the environment is it's about 750 locations about 10,000 staff uh, internally uh, we also service uh, the state the public uh, the New Jersey state and uh, we have about 100,000 attorneys and uh, 20,000 police officers that are accessing our systems on a daily basis Wow, um, that's a lot, right? So it's a pretty big scope. And, and justice doesn't stop just because we all had to stay at home at the start of the COVID pandemic. So what kind of challenges did the state's court system face in the early days of the stay-at-home order? Thank you. Um, so basically, we have a massive environment in terms of our interstate commerce, the way that we conduct business, the way that the courts run. So with the 750 locations, uh, we have big locations, and, and as you can see by the 750 number, a lot of them are spread out across the entire state of New Jersey, which is large. Um, so the basic issues are how do we do security? How do we do uh, enabling our staff to do remote court proceedings during that time? Uh, so we have, uh, in terms of our visibility, we have about 50,000 endpoints all across the state. So immediately the shift was to take the 10,000 employees and to shift them to the home networking uh, environment. Um, week one, what happened was we had about two or, two or so thousand people or, or computers that were ready to be enabled. But then we had to get about, about 8,000 more enabled within a couple of weeks. So within a period of just a couple of weeks, um, two, two and a half, three weeks, we were able to get um, almost uh, 8,700 uh, of our staff remote. And we needed to still keep some of them um, in New Jersey so they can continue to service uh, the people that uh, may be dealing with uh, some of the court proceedings uh, in person. What factors did you have to consider as you took an entire branch of state government virtual? So a lot of the factors include included um, that we, we're a court system. So we typically would be where if somebody had a problem with their neighbor or they had to pay a parking ticket or they had a divorce matter, they would have to come to the court. Typically that would be done in a physical form, right? Uh, although we had some remote facilities like phone calls available to attorneys, this wasn't the typical 
way to do that. So basically in March, we were a physical court. We went completely remote afterwards, right? And that's a major shift in, uh, in the operations of the court. And so a lot of what we had to consider were three key areas. Do we have the technology available, right, to our staff? Do, do the people that are doing court proceedings, including attorneys, including the public, do they have computers available, right, uh, that are up to par with doing video conferencing? And secondly, cybersecurity awareness is a major concern of ours, right, given the sensitivity of the information, and specifically the knowledge, behavior, attitude of, of the folks that, that are staff. And, and, and lastly, and very importantly, is the network security, because we went from 750 physical locations to remote services like VPNs, VDI, things along those lines that are very foreign, that are foreign to the way that we operated. So network security is a huge priority for us. In general, what are some of the tools and maybe platforms that you found most useful in this process? Yeah, so definitely video conferencing in a secure way was a major uh, factor for us, right? So we have two types of court proceedings. There's many of them, but let's just break them up into two for the simplicity of the matter. So we have things that are can be done without a jury, right? Court proceedings that can be done without juries and court proceedings that cannot be done without a jury, like grand jury and other jury trials. So for video conferencing that where you have a judge, um, a clerk of the court, an attorney, somebody from the public, let's say a family uh, family situation, this can be done over a secure video uh, connection, okay? And then you have jury trials. So the Supreme Court um, asked me and a, a number of uh, other judges here to come together to come up with a way that even remote juries can be done. And we're going through a pilot phase of those testing now. Clearly with jury is different because there's some uh, legalistic issues associated with not being physically in person because, you know, there's human reaction and, you know, things like that, which can't be uh, fully captured over video. When the living room becomes the courtroom, how is the court system and your team ensuring that participants follow ethical processes and mitigate distraction that could cloud judgment? Right. And so that is one of our major concerns that we knew. We've always had that concern. And so the Supreme Court for many years has had highly uh, restrictive, in some ways, ethical requirements on court staff. So even the very fact that I'm doing this interview had to be sanctioned by some of the highest people in the organization because we try to make sure that our public is safe. However, at the same time, there's lots of cybersecurity concerns at the current moment from the public, right? About, uh, you know, doing a video proceeding and so on and so forth. And so we're getting these questions through the attorneys, through other people. And so we felt the need to have that communication open with, with the public. And so the court is largely a public process, right? I mean, so you have uh, people coming in from the state of New Jersey, coming to court, uh, uh, you know, deciding on a, you know, child custody issue or deciding on, you know, um, how, you know, a criminal should be prosecuted. So a lot of these things that are, that reach the news. So how do you do that sitting at home with the same ethical standards and governance that we, that we have from a technology standpoint, we have strong policies in information security, and we have strong policies in information classification and handling. And those have been operationalized using our network access control platform and other security platforms that we used to make sure that, that whatever we say in writing is actually being followed by our staff, 
right? So we will not allow access to certain data unless it has gotten the highest degrees of approvals. You know, this is, uh, you know, a lot of that is our part of our governance. In addition to that, on our judicial side, where they're deciding on issues, there's something called Rule 138, which is uh, basically a standard uh, which tells all the judges and attorneys what data is confidential, what data is public, what is not allowed to be released. And so even the judges and the attorneys are supposed to self-govern. And if anybody doesn't self-govern, you know, then there's a process by which they can uh, you know, go through an ethical hearing. So there's all of these processes merged together. What are the lessons that you took away from this experience and, and what could you recommend? What kind of recommendations can you offer other IT professionals who might be facing similar challenges right now? Right. So we're at a time now where this is unprecedented, right? So we went from a physical court to a virtual court, right? So that's not something that we had practice in doing earlier. We had some practice, but not um, at the magnitude that we're doing now. So the way that I look at it is, you know, through the risk management process, right? So we have, you know, many people say, hey, can you secure a video conferencing platform? And, and then the answer is, we look to risk mitigate, right? And so if you take the example of, let's say a common uh, video platform like Zoom, right? So we've heard of issues of encryption, right? And we've heard of uh, issues like Zoom bombing. But those two things can actually be mitigated because you can put in a password to prevent Zoom bombing, right, in your Zoom meeting. And then concerning the encryption, you can certainly look for um, encryption uh, Zoom servers that maybe are located in your state that where your laws of your state may apply directly, right? And so there's ways to mitigate some of those issues so you don't become, you know, part of a larger cyber attack. Sajid Nassim, Chief Information Security Officer for the New Jersey Courts and Adjunct Cybersecurity Professor at St. John's University. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Thank you. I appreciate that. So I am a public employee, so you can probably find my email online. But at the same time, if somebody wants to reach me directly, uh, I can be reached on LinkedIn. Um, it's just LinkedIn slash IN slash Sajid Nassim. Thank you, Tanya. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Sajid. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.